winter. Welcome to this bonus episode of What We Do in the Winter. This is a crossover between What We Do in the Winter and the American Years Revisited podcast. The American Years Revisited podcast is a podcast from Dunoon, which records and shares stories connected to the 31 years of the US naval base presence on the Holy Loch from 1961 to 1992. This tale from American Years Revisited, which I uh, produce, I I do all the kind of behind-the-scenes stuff um, for podcasting stuff, with the brilliant team of Kate Simpson and Anne Campbell and all the participants who take part in it. Um, And... uh, yeah, so I do the I do the kind of sound editing on it, um, so you never hear me talking, which is a great pleasure. This episode features a chat with Jerry Pursley, who was a sailor with the U.S. Navy on the USS Proteus at the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis. It's connected to them all in a really interesting way because when they left the Holy Loch in great haste, the only place they could call into to get shelter and on their journey where they were because the seas were so rough, was Tobermory Bay. So this is the account of what happened inside the ship and uh, the experience of of Jerry Pursley. It's quite remarkable. And chatting to people on the Facebook Tales of Mull page, it seems that the ship um, tried to to moor in Tobermory Bay, but then actually moored in Loch Sunut. If you want to listen to the American Years Revisited podcast, it can be found on americanyearsrevisited.wordpress.com. And you can find it on Mixcloud and other podcasting sources. Before I hand you over to the episode, we have a special live event this week on Friday the 31st of July at 7.30. We'll be doing a Zoom conference call if you want to join us for What We Do in the Winter Live at Home. The topic is the sea and we'll be chatting to previous guests from the podcast and other members of the community about the role of the sea and the islands connected to Mull, Iona, Ulva, Gometra and Erid. Keep your eye on social media feeds for information on how to join us. And so with great pleasure I hand over to Kate Simpson and Jerry Pursley. Hello, welcome to the fifth episode of the American Years Revisited podcast. I'm Kate Simpson, coordinator of the American Years Project. In this episode, Jerry Pursley shares a first-hand account of active service on the Proteus at the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis. With no warning, the Proteus left the Holy Lock and headed for the North Atlantic. The ship wasn't quite sea-ready as they left in such a hurry, and this led to all sorts of situations that you'll hear Derry describe in rich detail. You may hear the odd ringing noise in the background of this episode, for which we apologise, but it absolutely doesn't take anything away from the story. We start with Jerry's wife, Linda, telling us about how she heard that the ship was leaving. It was just such a shock because I'd just been speaking to Jerry on the phone as as we did uh, when he was on the ship and I was uh, I was ashore, of course, in my house. And uh, everything was fine. And then uh, the next thing I knew was a taxi driver banging on the door and saying, is Jerry here? Because they knew the houses where the, uh, the Scottish girls were dating Americans. And I said, no, I said, Jerry's on the ship tonight. And he said, why? And he said, the ship's leaving. I said, no, no, the ship's not leaving. I've just spoken to Jerry. And he said, no, he said, the ship is actually leaving. And I, I ran, well, our house was down in Kilbride Avenue, I had a great view. And uh, within about 15 minutes, I see this big gray ship just moving very slowly, just down the climb. And I couldn't believe it. I just could not believe it. I tried to phone him back and whee, 
because what they were doing, they were running along the deck with axes and they were just chopping every single communication line that, from the ship uh, so that uh, nobody could communicate with the ship uh, at that point from the shore, from the shore here. And it was it was a terrible shock. And, of course, I'm in tears. I'll never see him again. And I'm, I'm, my poor mother <laughs> having to cope with this. And, and it was, how many days was it? Eight? I know it was over a week. Anyway. It was over a week. And, um, and I worked in Glasgow. And every night I'd be coming back home on the on the ferry. And the first thing I do is look to the Holy Law. Oh, there's no ship there yet. There's no <laughs> ship there yet. You know, so it was about eight days. It was a very yeah, It's very hard to remember time. now. Yeah. But, uh, oh, I remember. It, it seemed like it was a lot longer than probably Yeah, was. It, it was. <laughs> and then, of course, you, you had got terrible weather and you had to pull into Tobermory Bay because the weather was so bad. The ship was just bucking like a bronco and heaving and crashing down. So they were actually sheltering in Tobermory Bay, but nobody knew where they were. Um, obviously, the American Navy knew where they were, but nobody else knew where they not were. Not even sure about that. Uh, no, not even maybe sure about that. But <laughs> anyway, the day the ship sailed back into the Holy Loch, it was, hallelujah, he's back, he's back. Because I didn't know if I'd ever see him again. I thought that might be it. You know. So it and, was very traumatic. And time. Jerry, how, how much were you told? by your officers about what was... Well, every day we got like a plan of the day while we were at sea. And I wish that I wish that I had some of those today. They gave a bit of briefing what was going on in, in Washington, D.C. about the Cuba situation and on a daily thing. And we were, we were notified, you know, in that format. They're only going to tell you what, what you need to know. Uh, mm -hmm. But nothing was, you know, it was strictly, strictly through chief. Did you talk to your colleagues about when you what you thought was happening? The thing of it was when, when we were out at sea, we went out, we went out, there must have been a force, force eight, ten out. And you got to realize this was a ship that was not prepared to go to sea. Those days we had the big gantry cranes out the side. And it, and it caused, you know, it would cause a lot of rolling in the, in the ship. They actually were afraid the ship would turn over because of the gantry cranes. Uh, for the few times that I would be brave enough when I was up in, in my accommodation quarters up there to go and have a little, weren't supposed to go out on deck, but to even open the door enough where you could look out. The waves were right up over the main deck on the ship. You know, you you peek out the door, and all you could see in front of you, or to the side of the ship, you either saw sky or you saw saw water, water, and yeah. the water would wash right up alongside the door on the deck, on the main deck. That's a pretty big ship. Take a look at it online. Wow! And we were and out there, and it was it was very rough. Did you know anything about how tense things were? Of course. I mean, we were out there. We. We figured that it hadn't happened yet because we've probably been one of the first targets. Because we, you know, we our ship, we were wow. we were to service the submarines and they were located in this northern quarter. So I mean, the thing of it was, I, you know, we were we were a bit like we were written off already. You know, when we were out there, I know that we were out there for for about two or three days and then it then we and we're taking taking poundings. We had the metal shop used to be up above my our accommodation quarters and all the 
stock. In other words, all the metal stock and everything in the metal shop, pipe shop, all broke loose. And it was just, you would hear it hit the deck, you'd hear it go from one side of the room to the other. It would just be bang, bang, bang. We had uh, in the engine, because I was in the forward engine room, it was so rough that there was only about three or four out of the whole engine room gang, of which we should have had about a total of 20 or so in that engine room. You didn't see half of them for 10 days. You didn't see them. You couldn't find them. They weren't in their bunks. They were either in a fan room somewhere, uh, sleeping or sick. I stood watches. I stood eight, eight hour watches and four off. That sounds like a nightmare to me. And it was, it was just a survival exercise. Yeah. Quite honestly. And worry, the anxiety about what was happening between America and Russia as well. We didn't, we didn't have a clue where we where we're going and really we weren't going anywhere. You know, we just got out of the UK waters. And then when we did get up there after a, a couple of days of, really bad weather and everything we were in a trough we weren't headed into the waves and, and the the captain came on because everybody was worried about this ship this ship had been cut in half mm -hmm. and this ship had had a section put in the middle of it rumors came that the captain don't want to head they don't want to head into the waves They're afraid it would would break would break, break half. so anyway the captain came on the uh let us know about seven o'clock at night, that at midnight, he was going to turn the ship into the waves in order to stabilize the ship. Because we were out there just doing doing rolls back and forth. Back and forth. We in the engine room up on our upper deck, which was above our engines that ran around the engine room. We had a big uh, machine up there that we uh, used for injector, you know, diesel injector repair bench up there. It was so rough that this actually fell, it was dislodged, bigger than a wardrobe, a big mission. It actually came loose and, and fell over on top of one of the engines. Oh. And, and rather, we couldn't move it. So what we did was we just tied it down where it fell. And we, we had one engine apart. It, had, it was a 16-cylinder 16, 16 engine. We had half of the cylinder heads off of it which are about as big as uh, half a bathtub as far as size was concerned. And these cylinder heads were lying on the deck plates and they were sliding all over the place. If, if the ship would, would buck up, if it, if, it wasn't, if it wasn't tied properly, this, this cylinder head would come sliding down the deck plates towards you. And you just it didn't to, like it didn't sound like a state no, of the art ship. Sounded, it sounds like a ship is just getting ready to sink. Quite honestly. What people what people have to realize is these the tender the mothership was like a huge floating factory. Yes, it was. And me, I was when I was on the ship in charge of the periscope shop. We were out in the north somewhere. We really bad storm. It was it was shearing off big machines in the machine shop, big laser stuff. It was breaking three quarter inch bolts and these things and the mess decks was all over. So for them to get underway like that quick, you don't have time to secure for sea because it took quite a lot to to get everything secured to sea because we were out, like say the, we pulled into somewhere in Ireland because it was so bad. Mm -hmm. And I remember we were back on the fantail, me and this guy, Joe Burton standing there 
And it was like the Poseidon adventure, this wave coming, or you couldn't see the sky. You, you, you were thinking, thinking, sinking is what you're thinking. <laughs> you know, it was well, quite when, frightening. When we did, when, we, when that night, when the captain told us we're going to turn into the waves and and uh, into the water, we what we did was we were on watch. There's about three, four of us down in the engine room, standing watch, and we turned into the waves. And then we started the old victory at sea thing, where the ships go way up. When the, when the ship comes down, it would go, blah, 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 you know, into the water. And this is a big ship. This fi almost 500 foot ship is beating the bottom of the ship. And then what happened? Of course, when the ship went down the propellers would come out of the water. So the engines would overspeed and trip out. The governors would trip the engines out. And when you hear the engines start to go down, you had to run over and restart the engine real quick. You got to realize we had, we had four main engines, but we, we had one apart. So we had three engines running down there, plus our two generators for ship's power. It was a nightmare scenario. Yeah. It just really was. And like I'm saying, because you're so busy and everything, you don't really think about a whole lot else. But you're not the, really thinking about the, the crisis. No, you're thinking about now. the immediate crisis. Yeah. Thinking about survival. You're thinking about doing what needs to be done. Yeah. How many of you were in this situation? Well, I guess the whole crew was there, except some that we actually left behind. We did leave, I think, about 25 or something that didn't because make it they back didn't, to the they ship. didn't know the ship was going to be leaving that night. It was just a very sudden They couldn't thing. get back before no. we left. One minute the ship was there and the next minute the ship was gone. What would the whole crew have been? It's hard to say. I really don't know. I, I always figured there was around 1,200 on there. That's amazing. It was. It was uh, It was a real experience. Mm. I mean, you know, there's other people that had that same experience mm. still around. Mm -hmm. I would imagine, but, uh, they took refuge in Tobermory Bay. Well, we went into Tobermory Bay once we once it calmed down a bit, but I mean it was still very rough, and we managed to get into Tobermory Bay. First off, we couldn't get a hold with our anchor. We really went in there for some provisions. I don't think we got a thing. I think we just got in there and finally just had to go back out again. And uh, I think we left both of our bow anchors there. But whether we got them back or not, I'm not sure. <laughs> like I'm saying, the ship was not ready to go to sea. Even though they were probably talking about it, it probably kind of went over your head a bit. But the whole day before we went out, even the day before, we were told to, re to start the engines to keep the oil warm in case we had to leave. We did that for a bit, and then they, then they put that on hold. Uh, and then the next day we had to start again and we'd have to run our engines. Did you question the idea of the ship leaving at that time? Or was that well, explained to you? Never we questioned did, an order. No, we never. <laughs> how do I say it? It's one of these things you didn't think would happen. Mm -hmm. you, but you'd be but ready for it. The idea of the ship leaving in the crisis. As big a surprise to me that it went out as it was to Linda. Mm -hmm. And although I, she would call and I said, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're having to run our engines to keep the oil on. Do you think you're going out? You know, I think you asked me that. I did. You think you're going out? I, said, I, no, I, no, I don't no, think no. so. But, I'm, you know, we're, we're just being prepared. But then, then when it, when it came, it was, the decision was made and we were gone. 
And how did you how did you know from you thinking I don't think we're going? What was the process from that to you actually going? How did you get back to the ship? How did you know to go? Well, I was on the ship already. I had duty that day, and I'm sure that because we left quite a few people, people there, you. and I think the other thing of it was, if I'm not mistaken, they weren't allowing people at that point for a couple of days to go to Greenwich. It was you can go off the ship, but you got to stay close before you can get back. I know that when I finally got off the ship on the day we got back, I met some guys coming back on the ship at that time. We just got back. But uh, no, the decision we were, you know, when we're going to warm up to keep the engines warm, we're going to go in case we have to go out and, and this, that, and the other. And then all of a sudden it's, let's go. We're on our way. We're leaving. When we left that night, I think about a quarter past nine or something. Yeah, because I'd just spoken to you on the phone and everything you and, did was fine. And what happened and, was uh, when, when we left that night, we actually had a submarine tied up to each side of the ship. Yeah, yeah. We went out past the dry dock with two babies with us, <laughs> two <laughs> submarines with us. I went up to have a look because I was in the engine room at that time. And and I couldn't believe that we were leaving and, and everything. So I I went up went up topside just for a quick peek. And I went up there and I, and I remember going up on the deck and I could see him see him on the submarines and everything. And I had a working parties on the deck just throwing like cases of, of canned goods and, and stuff onto the submarine decks. And I was on the deck catching provisions and stuff, throwing them down the hatches. Mm -hmm. And they did that as we went out past uh, Danoon Pier. And and that was us gone. Then. Yeah, well, I After could that. see on the shore was the lights just gradually disappearing into the into the gloom. <laughs> but, and, uh, but like I say, we were out there for several, you know, for quite a few days there. And uh, like I say, not knowing because we were we were just some sort of limbo at that time. We were just we were just fighting the elements. We would get our our plan of the day in the morning with a little bit of a blurb in it and everything. And always thought that somebody somewhere has got some of these, which would have been nice to have kept. You know, and when we came back in, I can't remember what date it was. I remember we, the, by then the, the seas had calmed a lot. And you could tell when you got into the Firth of Clyde, and, you know, the engine slowed down and we were coming up the Clyde quite quietly here or, in, in the engine room we were and everything. And I was standing throttle watch then. And by then I've already had a few more guys show up. The ones that probably, <laughs> they, by the time the seas got a little bit calmer, some of the guys that had been hiding all the time, they're now showing up. So <laughs> I was standing throttle watch in the engine room on one of the main engines. I'm standing there watching the gauges and everything. And all of a sudden I get a line of, of oily water down my, down my face and everything. What had happened was when the oil kings had pumped the uh, ballast out coming up the Clyde, they pumped <clears throat> into the bilges, flooded our flooded our uh, our engine generators and everything. So we had to shut down before we even got to Danoon. And we had to go in there with, with tugs and uh, after engine room. And we lost all our power at that point. And then when we got back the next day, we found out we had we had a lot of water damage, and we spent spent the next three months mm -hmm. on port and starboard, 
duty 12 hours on 12 hours off taking our coils out of our generators so they could take them into the galley and put them in the oven to bake them and get the water out of them had to be washed down with fresh water and everything because the buildings were all full of salt water and all the generators keep them rusting and everything so we had a we had a busy time there so we also you know kind of like really? off of the foot when you're already injured you know that's amazing um memoir of that experience Jerry. i remember it quite vividly you know what parts that i played part in like when you go to asking about what what was, what was happening up on the upper decks i have no idea i was not really cut out for going to sea after that That was Jerry Persley's account of the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis while serving on the Proteus. Thank you, Jerry, for bringing that moment to life in such detail. You have been listening to the American Years Revisited podcast. For more information and for further episodes, please visit our website on AmericanYearsRevisited.wordpress.com. Thank you for listening. See you next time. So there you go. I thought that was a story worth sharing, something a little bit different. And uh, yeah, if you want to listen to the American Years Revisited podcast, there's lots of tales about life under the time of the Americans. There's tales from divers, there's tales from uh, normal seamen, there's tales from uh, all sorts of people working on board, but also tales of local people from Dunoon and the area. So it's a really rich podcast full of some fascinating information that captures a certain moment in time, which is getting further and further away all the time. So it's well worth checking out. Well, thanks for listening. What we do in the winter, we'll be back with you soon with more episodes. Next one coming from the Isle of Erid. And don't forget, we've got What We Do in the Winter live at home on Friday the 31st of July at 7.30 online. So remember to keep an eye on our social media feeds on how to join us for that. And the theme is The Sea. Look forward to seeing you then. All right. All the very best. Shenakade. Morantang.